Today, we examine the ties that bind. Yes, the incredible connections between two of Marvel's powerhouse titles, the Avengers and the X-Men, two of their absolute biggest, most long-standing franchises have all manner of connections, and they have since the day they arrived on the stands. The characters, the creators, the behind-the-scenes, these franchises have been fighting for the top of the charts for the last three decades, and today we take a close look at some facts that you may have never realized on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Rob Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been making the comic books for 37 years. And I've been talking about them for the last three on this podcast where I get to share with all of you my passion for comic books, for all things comic books, for the actual comic books, 32 pages, 22 pages of story and art. The kind of stuff that I grew up on, the kind of stuff that made me a comic book fan. We talk of comic book movies, of of comic book shows that have just dominated the landscape that are that are on seemingly every channel after, again, in my childhood, having no superhero shows to speak of. A, a long drought followed by a, a, a small smattering, a small taste, and then another long drought. I'm talking like The Incredible Hulk, which was a giant Hulk. Uh, hit for CBS Channel 2 when I was growing up in the 70s, 78, 79, uh, and, and then gone, uh, Wonder Woman prior to that, and then a huge, long drought, no superhero shows, and, and really difficult to make them great, difficult to make them with, with the kind of budgets uh, that they really called for until, boom, the, the, the superhero explosion of the 2000s, which we have talked about at great length, all of the ways that that has impacted pop culture, which has made today's youth um, clamor and 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 seek out comic book superheroes in a way that they never have before in a way that certainly kids my age did not so it's fun we 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 have spent the last 3 years going over so many different topics as i have walked you through not only my time as a professional but more importantly at least to me my time as a fan because i'll never stop being a fan of comic books and and uh that that passion has has never once abated it it, it just continues to burn so so deeply inside of me, I just have a connection and a, and a love for for comic book superheroes, for for the comic book art form, for for not just superheroes beyond superheroes, just European comics, uh, manga, anime. We 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 try and stir the pot here and mix it all up. Certainly, the the general public and and the comic book comic book material they've been exposed to is more of the superhero variety as both marvel and dc comics have just poured out billions of dollars in production costs trying to bring the most lavish productions of these interestingly enough uh today our topic concerns two of the biggest ever but we're gonna we're gonna discuss the connection because they have strong ties and 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 one that we're gonna jump right into but the avengers and the x-men the Avengers X-Men connection is, is what I am interested in discussing with you today because there are so many great, maybe, uh, secrets behind the birth of both franchises, the connections, the powerful connections that both uh, concepts have had since their inception. And you know what? For, for my money, that's the best place to start. We're going to start in regards to the Avengers X-Men connection. And, and, and again, so much of the audience nowadays, when they see the Avengers, they think Chris Evans, they think Scarlett Johansson, they think Chris Hemsworth, they think Robert Downey Jr. Because that's the the cinematic representation of the Avengers, which of course is the most successful representation of them to date. Even though, again, the Avengers have had, you know, 60 years, 60 years of comic books, uh, and, 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 and huge sales, tremendous sales. I was fortunate to be part of the Avengers family when I relaunched the book in 1996, a book that had kind of fallen uh, to the back of the pack in terms of sales. But it was such a great honor because growing up, Avengers and X-Men were side by side as two of my absolute m- most favorite uh, comic book franchises and featured not only my favorite characters, but but my favorite creators. And of course, the X-Men 20th Century Fox made 20 years worth of X-Men blockbusters. Uh, I, I'm going to always tell you that there's way more gold in those hills. 
uh, than, than, than people will, will tell you. I think X-Men 1, X-Men 2, I think, uh, I think X-Men First Class, X-Men Days of Future Past. I think The Wolverine is an unsung gem. Obviously, uh, Logan is huge. The two Deadpool movies. I think there's way more uh, great stuff that Fox was able to tap into and connect with audiences. And again, audiences went, they bought tickets. But interestingly enough, and this is the connection, one of the connections that that isn't as obvious, but X-Men became Fox's number one franchise. While Avengers became Marvel and DC's, I mean, I'm sorry, Disney, Disney. <laughs> you can see how I how I uh, can 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 get that that uh, roll of the tongue screwed up. Disney's biggest franchise. So these are two concepts, teams, franchises, uh, ideas that that just dominate wherever they go. They they find their way back uh, to the head of the conversation. And here's the most interesting thing. Here is the most interesting part of the Avengers X-Men connection. And we're going to start out. Here's the number one thing that, that I find the most entertaining is they share the same birthday. They absolutely share the same birthday. They both arrived in the summer of 1963. In fact, they both arrived July 2nd, July 2nd, the same day, the exact same day. If you were around, and I certainly was not, uh, this is this is four years before I am born. 1963, July 2nd, Avengers, X-Men, both hit the stance. It was an expansion of everything that Marvel Comics had been really playing with. Playing with is the best term because they were just throwing it up against the wall. Some some things were sticking, some things were not. In in the in the history of Marvel Comics, a couple things get forgotten. We all know, we all know very, you know, very uh, it's it, 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 it's a very celebrated fact that the Fantastic Four launched the modern Marvel Day universe, and the the historical facts behind it are very 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 simple. That the head of Marvel wanted a book like the Justice League. DC Comics had a huge selling book with their super team combining Superman, Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, the All Stars. Kids my age, growing up in the growing up in the seventies, would come to know that exact collection as the Super Friends. Every Saturday morning, top-rated superhero cartoon show. Well, Justice League was the pace horse. It was the horse to beat, uh, and 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 Marvel wanted to pursue that, and so they empowered Stanley and Jack Kirby to come up with the Fantastic Four: Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, the Thing, and they had a hit. They had an instant hit. Roy Thomas uh, writes in the Silver Age edition from the Folio Society. And let me tell you something. These Folio Society, they're giant oversized hardcovers. Uh, bigger, taller than an omnibus. Uh, not not a little, little bigger than, than, than DC's uh, <clears throat> absolute editions. These are really amazing. I, I, I was turned on to them right coming out of the pandemic. I ordered them online. They're from a, a European publisher, the Folio Society. And uh, they're very expensive. I'm not going to lie. They're very expensive. I'm not sure if they're even in, still in print, but they are a really uh, fine uh, fine collection of Bronze Age stories, Silver Age stories. They, they, they have them uh, you know, marked as different editions. And in the case of like the Bronze Age, Roy Thomas has selected, because he was the editor-in-chief during the time, he selected each of the different stories that they put in there. They also give you a facsimile in both of of a comic book from that period fantastic four is in the silver uh the silver age folio society marvel compilation and in the bronze age compilation they give you a fac- facsimile of giant size x-men and these are better than any facsimiles that you're going to find normally on the stands from marvel when they do their facsimiles these are really high end they, they, they did their very best job at reproducing them like like as a actual uh like a product from that era, like the 1975 giant size X-Men, you feel like you are reading that exact same book. The the quality of the paper, the printing, the dots, it's, a, it's, it's tremendous the way that they have replicated these things. But in the Folio Society Silver Age collection, Roy Thomas recounts that uh, the resulting comic book, Fantastic Four, the resulting comic book, speaking of the Fantastic Four, was an instant success. Uh, Timely, who was Marvel before Marvel was named Marvel. It was called Timely. And that means editor Stanley began began 
receiving tons of fan mail, not just from the bubblegum brigade that wrote to Superman and Justice League, but from card-carrying college students, full-fledged adults with real jobs and everything, Roy writes. Young and old, well, slightly older, alike, had found something to like in this new mix of the unapologetically superheroic and unabashedly human. It says, uh, they're, they're, they're t- he says uh, that one of the things that people really enjoyed about the Fantastic Four from Stan Lee, it said it had a family dynamic, the father figure in Reed Richards, his fiancee Sue Storm, uh, the, the, the equally symbolic kids of the group, hothead younger brother, uh, flaming Johnny Storm, and then of course uh, the hotshot pilot who transformed into the monstrous rock-hided, terrifically powerful thing. They gained their powers by accident when they were bombarded in space by cosmic rays before crashing to Earth. Promptly began squabbling among themselves in a far more realistic reaction to what had occurred when forming, like a Justice League group, in which every joint decision seemed always to be unanimous. So he's touching on kind of the the Marvel approach to these heroes, which was different than the Silver Age uh, Justice League, and, and again the Justice League. And the Superman and the Batman stories, if you read them, they are always just um, Superman. Of course, he has the brightest idea of how to, you know, turn Lois uh, back from a horse into a human. And I'm just pulling that out of the air. It's just or the perfect way to repel the Martian invasion that, that, that this was a uh, 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 again, a different more uh, a different depiction of, of the human characteristics in these characters in, in these different uh, new voices coming out of Marvel than anything that DC had been offering offering you, which was, I would say, more of a Boy Scout style depiction of the heroes. And, and Marvel famously wanted the more complex stuff. But again, the reason I'm sharing this with you in regards to the Avengers-X-Men connection is everything that they were putting out was not clearly working. Let's take the Hulk. Let's take the Hulk, for, for, for instance. The Hulk, it, many of you may not know, after initially launching the Hulk, it was canceled. Six issues in, the sales were terrible and, 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 and they canceled it only to, you know, relaunch many years later, uh, or have, or Hulk would find success in his relaunch. Um, those many years later, uh, Stan and Jack, you know, were pushed to create more superhero comics and that their, their creativity provided the incredible Hulk. And again, to the audience, the Hulk was a lot like the thing, but he was less ugly, if not less monstrous. Uh, you know, a scientist, again, like, like Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, advertently was immersed in radiation gamma rays this time, as opposed to the com- cosmic rays that transforms the, uh, the Fantastic Four. And of course, Bruce Banner becomes a bulky, ultra-strong creature. Uh, in this first issue of the Hulk, he was turned gray. Um, altered by the second issue to a, a far more appealing green tone. Now, here's the deal. Unfortunately, this monster hero without other more human supertypes to bounce against and off of him was not quite with the Mad Doctor order. The, first, the Hulk's first solo run ended with issue six, March 1963. The, 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 the Hulk ended months before Avengers and X-Men would come to light. The story uh, of the six issue was illustrated by by Steve Ditko. He battled the Metal Master, and uh, and you know it, it it it's just something to remember that Ditko, Kirby, Stan. I mean, a, a, as successful as they were, this original outing with the Hulk was not deemed a success. So <clears throat> Stan, listening to to his executives, the the higher ups, they're like, "Give us more like the Fantastic Four. Give us more like the Fantastic Four. So they uh, they they really pushed them to create more superhero teams because the Fantastic Four had been working so well. So lo and behold, in the summer of 1963, uh, Marvel Comics newly christened, no longer Timely. Uh, and, and come on, Marvel just sounds so much better than Timely Comics. Uh, they combined Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, Ant Man, and his equally minuscule partner, the Wasp. Together as the Avengers, a team of some of Earth's greatest superheroes, with obviously the dynamic Jack Kirby art and Stanley scripting. And then with issue four, they brought in 
one of Jack Kirby's greatest creations, along with Joe Simon, uh, the the iconic hero known as Captain America, who had disappeared after the world after World War. It was their number one selling book during the 1940s, and uh, you know, resurrecting Captain America in the modern day, putting him on the Avengers, only led to a bigger surge in that book's popularity. Uh, so then. On July 2nd, you got another book. We've already told you that's X-Men. X-Men Avengers released the exact same day in 1963. Both, and we're going to get to this because this is the second point, is, is, is really hitting home this particular creative team. But um, right as the Avengers began, Marvel launched their, their third Lee Kirby team, which was the X-Men. And, and of course, the X-Men was composed of five teenage mutants born with superpowers Instead of getting them by radiation, a radiation-bathed accident, which obviously was had become really popular in creating all these different superheroes, uh, <clears throat> this comic book took, you know, the better part. I mean, literally over twelve years until it would have the strongest possible connection with readers. With the giant size X Men reboot in nineteen seventy five, and uh, and it struggled throughout. It had some high points, and it's pointed out that the Sentinel issue that they uh, the, the, the issue of the Sentinel, which was the first part of a multi-part story, is the one that they choose to share with you in the Folio Society in this uh, in this huge, amazing collection. Again, I can't recommend them more highly, but they are uh, very expensive, and, 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 and I believe you get your bang for your buck. But again, they're not for like the casual person. I don't want you to have a heart attack if you go on and you look up the Folio. It's, F-A, it's F-O-L-I-O, not P-H. The, the, the Folio Society, F-S. That, that that's their little logo fs f-o-f-o-l-i-o folio society and uh so the cool thing and maybe you didn't know maybe you did not know that july 2nd 1963 avengers and x-men arrived at the same time great covers on both interestingly enough back uh, about 2014 i was exiting a local comic book show uh, a, a really cool kind of ballroom show that they still throw here in orange county a lot a lot of silver age bronze dealers very few modern dealers uh but some of the big heavy hitters uh one of the heavy hitters uh, a gentleman named harley Yee. you see him at san diego at new york at c2e2 he is one of the biggest uh you know retailers uh collectors with with, with deep 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 uh you know reserves of great silver bronze and and even Golden Age comic books. I, I saw X-Men number one and I saw Avengers number one. I'm like, it's time for me to have one of these. And I looked at both of them and man, do I, did I love them both, but I had a stronger connection with the X-Men. And I ended up purchasing that for a few thousand dollars. It was the end of the show. There was a deal to be had. I, 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 I jumped into it and I eventually got that signed by Stan and sent it into uh to to cgc and and got it sent back into 5.5 but hey i'll take it um it's not like i'm gonna get stan lee to sign any any other x-men comics that i obtained so it has a really strong personal connection to me but weighing the avengers and the x-men and 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 just realizing that these both hit pop culture they they hit modern society they rolled off the presses and were on newsstands at the same time, the same day is, is phenomenal because these are the two perhaps biggest franchises. The Fantastic Four would certainly be their flagship title for most, you know, 60s, 70s. And, and when I say flagship, flagship team title. Spider-Man is, is, of course, the solo superstar of the Marvel Universe. But as far as team books, uh, Fantastic Four was really the marquee attraction for so many years but in the in the 70s the decade that i grew up in the avengers and the x-men was both surge and later just supplant the fantastic four and in the irony it is the fantastic four the comic that birthed the marvel universe that just cannot seem to get a break and 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 get the proper screen treatment and trust me i have sung the praises of the fantastic four so many times here those stories those worlds those those characters those those larger than life uh, opponents, villains uh, that, that the Fantastic Four encounters that really built their world and made them so popular. They just haven't had the proper uh, uh, representation. They haven't been given the platform, the stage with which to make that larger connection. And we are all looking forward to that happening very soon. 
But back to the Avengers and the X-Men. Brings us to number two. So we've established the birth date. They share a birthday. Both arrived July 2nd, 1963. And unlike stuff like the Hulk, which stalled out, they caught fire and, and, and they were published nonstop for literally the better part of, of a decade in the X-Men's case. And then the Avengers, boom, no, no looking back. I mean, that, that was just such a great and such a fun collection of characters. And we're going to circle back because they, they connect again, you know, with, with, with a sharing of characters. And we're going to get to that later on down in our different points. But we're going to go to point number two, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. Fantastic Four, Avengers, X-Men. I mean, what aren't these guys, you know, capable of doing? And the fact they both came out in the same day with all of that, uh, you know, all, all of that artistic burden in, in terms of such a li- large cast of characters. Look, there are people, and I've, I've, I've shared with you before, and I'm not going to do the voice. Uh, it, it's way too early. <laughs> um, but, but Todd McFarlane would tell me that having done a team book, he never wanted to do one again. He had done Infinity, Inc., when he broke in and, and he's just somebody who I personally knew who was like, Oh man, you and you, you and Jim and your propensity for team books. He's like, I, it's too many, too many cast of characters, too many different responsibilities, too many different, you know, things that you have to draw and pull off in regards to to a larger supporting cast. And he's right. Having done both solo books and team books, I, I see the appeal of the solo book just from the responsibility uh, in, in filling the page and telling the story. But then there's guys like George Perez and John Byrne who, like Jack Kirby, loved doing, you know, team books. And I think my generation of guys like myself and Jim Lee and, and, and others who really, they loved the idea of the team book and the variety that it, it gave you, the variety of different faces, body types, um, the, 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 the different, uh, you know, range of characters that you could portray, portray. And here it is. Here it is. Jack doing regular art chores on Fantastic Four, Avengers, and X-Men. Again, Avengers and X-Men arrived on July 2nd, 1963, but it didn't mean that Fantastic Four was parked over on the side. It was also still coming out. So incredibly, you know, the fact that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee were able to, uh, to, to produce this together. Now, Roy Thomas is, is really our greatest living historian for those times. And for him to write what he writes in, in the Folio Society, society I think is very interesting. And, and he's a very smart man, and he chooses his words very carefully. He says, when speaking back, back speaking of the Fantastic Four, you know, he, uh, he, he's, he, he, he's, he describes it as Jack providing the art and then Stan Lee putting, putting, you know, putting forth the script. And there's a quote from Stan Lee in 1990s comics interview magazine. Uh, got a cover by Eric Larson. Eric Larson is one of the featured uh, subjects in it. It's comic comics interview magazine, number 85, including Eric Larson. There is a, uh, there is a Stan Lee interview. Stan Lee is quoted and, I, and I'm reading you directly from this 1990 interview. Stan Lee says, most of the time after we got started, the artist did most of the work. He did most of the plotting. I would just give him a one-liner. Hey, let's feature Dr. Doom or something. And whoever that artist was, he would practically do the entire story. Full stop, end of sentence. And as we continue to understand, because so many of the players in this have passed, but they were very firm in who did what, and, and, and what they were conceiving of, um, I, I will always maintain the artists during these periods were not credited properly. And that is the one thing that continues to be the through line. Uh, now, now again, there are, there are really kind biographies on Stan, and then there are really mean and vicious ones. And both of them are on your, on, on the bookshelves at your store, or, or now, I guess, more importantly, in your digital, you know, bookstore that you can choose to order through Amazon or, or your Kindle. And uh, I believe, having known these amazing artistic visionary men, I do believe that more of, especially given the deadlines, more of this, the plot and what unfolded on the page was a byproduct of the artist, where, whether it was Wally Wood on Daredevil or Steve Ditko on Spider-Man and Doctor Strange or on uh, 
or or on with with Jack Kirby with all he was doing. Another little tidbit, a little a little um kind of uh interesting interesting aspect is that uh you know Stan would also in the 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 foreword to the Doctor Strange Fireside Press had an entire episode on the Fireside Press books. And they were really great collections of all the Marvel stories from the 60s and early 70s that they were releasing late in the 70s. Like this is from 1979, the Doctor Strange Fireside Press books. He says, uh, Stan, in speaking of Doctor Strange's, you know, prolific artistic influence, Steve Ditko, he says, Steve Ditko is one of the best plot men in the entire business. Steve did the hard part. He dreamed up the story and illustrated it. I wrote the dialogue. Stan Lee, quote, 1979 he wrote that stan typed that in the foreword again you know uh stan is uh and speaking to again their long-standing rivalry with stan and jack uh here's another quote then uh stan wrote in one of his uh soapboxes then i heard there was a job opening at marvel comics which was then called timely for a reason that no one's figured out jack kirby and joe simon were practically the entire staff and they well i better watch I better watch what I say here because I never know. Jack may be around. I'm not noted for always telling the truth, but at least people don't usually catch me at it. But Jack will likely remember, so I have to be careful. This is um, a very interesting perspective given that that uh, so much of what I am sharing to you, these three different excerpts are either from Stan, Stan Interviews and Comics Interview Magazine would just, because I did that magazine, they would just let you speak into the microphone and print what you said verbatim. Uh, a lot less editorializing and a lot less framing uh, and agendaizing than any of the other magazines at the time. That's why it was called Comic Book Interview Magazine. They just let you rip. Um, but uh, <clears throat> when when Steve Ditko originally showed up with uh, with Doctor Strange, it was completely completely formed, except that he called him Mister Strange, called him Mister Strange, and Roy Thomas notes that. Stan's greatest contribution to what Steve had put there was saying, we should call him doctor instead of mister. Now, does that get some, some points? It does. Now, I've, I've given a dedicated personality, to, uh, personality a de- dedicated podcast to Stan Lee and his personality and how I think he best functioned as the hype man, as the salesman, and I think he could not be equaled in that manner. But when we talk about these things and we, and we, and we see the burden that the artist who is producing Fantastic Four Avengers X-Men in one single month, and especially when they're debuting at the same time, that burden is largely put on Jack Kirby, who just was possessed with what I'm not sure, but some supernatural ability to draw, draw, draw like nobody else uh, before or since. There's a reason we call him the King of Comics. And and something that now you can pull out and tell people because it is 1,000% fact is that Avengers X-Men arrived from his pencil in your hands on the same date while he was also doing Fantastic Four. It is such an incredible artistic achievement. And the fact that I do, you know, whether you like the blue and yellow costumes of X-Men as opposed to the individual stylings of so many of the characters that he created that are in the Avengers, because again, Thor is his and the initial design of Iron Man and, and so many. And obviously when you bring Captain America, now you're literally living the Jack Kirby, you know, I mean, you are the living embodiment of the Jack, the most powerful of Jack's symbols. Uh, Jack is just, there, there was some incredible wizardry going on. And the fact that into his 60s and 70s, he was still able to put out two books a month is nothing short of staggering. But Stan and Jack had to give a, a special denotation. Now, do I believe Stan had a way with words and turned a great phrase. I do. I think his importance as a scripter cannot be underscored, but do I believe he created these worlds, these names, these concepts, these costumes? I don't, I never have, but I believe he knew his function and somewhere along the line, he was either empowered by management to take more credit than was deserved or believed he, you know, he was entitled to it. Now I've, I've read you these quotes. And let me go back and finish up this section again with the, the comics interview quote, which I'm looking right at it. I mean, again, it's, 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 it's straight from 1990. So this isn't some quote from 1965. Most of the time after we got started, the artist did most of the plot. 
I'd just give him a one-liner. Let's, hey, let's feature Dr. Doom or something. And whatever, whoever the artist was, he'd practically do the whole story. Comics interview 85, 1990. Okay, let's move on to our next point, which is all of the different artistic connections that these two series share. Not just Jack Kirby. It doesn't end with Jack. He's just, he's just the first most powerful connection that connects these two incredible story, uh, uh, these incredible franchises and storylines later on down the line uh no less than neil adams who i have spoken of in the highest regard here because he deserves it because he was literally the greatest illustrator to ever draw comic books jack kirby was the greatest comic book artist the greatest cartoonist but as far as like intricate drawing and rendering and i've got him on my mount rushmore as you well know if you've listened to this podcast and Neil left us just about a year ago and and he was still cranking out amazing, not cranking out, just illustrating one great illustration after another, one great drawing after another. He would be online, he'd be sharing them. Um, um, just the 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 new drawings that he did of Batman, Green Lantern, you know, uh the X-Men, they just fly. They would just fly. People still were so drawn to his work. He was still so amazingly talented in his um senior years. Uh he did a celebrated storyline at a, at Marvel with the Avengers called the Kree Scroll War. When I got into comics, the Kree Scroll War was talked about as my generation talks about Dark Phoenix or Elektra. The Kree Scroll War. It was like a defining like storyline, a big giant cosmic battle that the Avengers got swept up in. And while he didn't finish the entire storyline, he contributed key chapters and it is really built around his artistic vision. He and Roy Thomas uh, put the Avengers out in space in the middle of this giant cosmic conflict. It is one of his signature contributions. It is when people still think of the Avengers, I guarantee you Kree Scroll War cracks in, in many, especially those who, who are around and immediately followed. It's a top five storyline. For, for most, it's a top 10 storyline. And Neil, there's an incredible story where Ant-Man goes inside the vision uh, to 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 spark him back, and I'm telling you right now, that issue is a a signature, like a signature stylistic uh, achievement on Neil's you know shelf of achievements. People really identify with that comic as being wow. I mean, the close up of Vision, Ant Man going inside of him, and 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 you know, it was literally uh, that that um that movie with Dennis Quaid and and, and Martin Short, I believe. Meg Ryan called Inner Space. It, 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 it was Inner Space years before with Ant-Man and Vision. He would then go on and he'd do these X-Men issues uh, where the X-Men go to the Savage Land. They battle Sauron. There's some Sentinel stuff. There's Polaris. There's Havok. There's Magneto. They're just stunning comic books. Roy Thomas has talked about how he thought that putting Neil Adams on the X-Men would be the thing that triggered kind of a, a new awakening for the X-Men. And when it didn't, that's when they really uh, shut the franchise down, going to the reprint model where it would come out every other month as reprints of previous stories. Because he was like, if, if, if they're not jumping in on this Neil Adams artwork, and they have collected in hardcover form a really nice, like a European album style format. Marvel put it out a couple of years ago of all of Neil's X-Men work from the late, sex, late 60s. And this Savage Land stuff, I mean, you're... If you open these pages and you look at them as I'm going to do when I'm done with this podcast again, because I just looked across and saw it and I'm going to grab it, you're going to be like, nothing looks like this today. It's it's literally not only the best comic book of 68, 69, whatever year it was published in, it's, it's, it's like better than anything being published for the last 25 years. I mean, certainly better in terms of quality of illustration, rendering, storytelling, figure work than, than any, um, than, than any comics that, that we've been experiencing and perhaps maybe better than any of the favorite, maybe a, a, of your favorite comics from Image. But that's up to you. That's, that's up to you, uh, you know, to determine. But for me, I'm telling you, it is stunning work. Of course, uh, those were his two giant signature Marvel contributions that when you go Neil Adams and Marvel, you get Avengers, you get X-Men. And the, uh, th- those depictions 
of those characters are so impactful that they would go on to influence the people that followed. John Byrne is, in fact, doing a version of Neil Adams when he draws the X-Men. His Cyclops, his Gene, his, his Xavier all have a direct artistic tie to what Neil did in only just a small handful of issues. And when you see, especially back then, you know, the Avengers, so many people immediately, that, that became their template. The way he drew Cap and Vision and Ant-Man and Thor and Iron Man, it became the template and that, that, that they would follow Neil's version of these characters. Over at DC, Neil was known for Batman and Green Lantern. Those were his two giant standouts, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and then Batman. At Marvel, it's Avengers and it's X-Men. But again, there's, that, that's not, he's not the only one, along with Jack Kirby, that shares this artistic legacy. As John Byrne, you've heard me mention him so many times here, uh, many people believe he is the artistic embodiment of an era, that he is the number one in terms of, 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 of like how you identify the Bronze Age. And I, I, I certainly would not argue with it. He was so impactful, having done gigantic runs on Fantastic Four, his signature X-Men celebrated work that we've, we talk about here every time. It puts a, a smile on my face every time I did it. I did an autopsy, uh, what we call the Robtopsy, the Robtopsy episode I did on, on, on the 1978 John Byrne run that really lit the, lit the fuse that ignited the fire that created the inferno that was his X-Men run. Again, people are still trying to remake those stories. But at the same time, if you can believe this, John was contributing to the Avengers during that entire time. Roughly 1975, 1980 is when John Byrne is is finding his way and finding his success at Marvel Comics. And right around uh, 76, 77 is when he starts contributing to both of these. They're published in 77. But, uh, you know, Again, sometimes just like George Lucas made Star Wars in 1976, you saw it in 1977, but it's even more impressive. It's it's more impressive if you step back, go back that one year and go, wow. And then he conceived of it like earlier than that. So the the furthest you go back, and and, and in this case, again, John Byrne is drawing some of these X-Men and Avengers issues. and, and, And his Marvel contributions in 1976, some of them are now coming to you in 77. But at the same time that he is doing this X-Men stuff, he has a three-parter that just blows everyone's socks off called Count Nefaria, who, who was, a, what was a signature X-Men uh, villain, was now pulled into a story by, that, by the editor-in-chief of the time, Jim Shooter. He pulled him in and got him to do this three-part story where Count Nefaria pulls from three different villains. Uh, there's another not Luke Cage but another villain that had predated him called Power Man, a, a, a uh, character called the Wizard, and another character called the Living Laser. And Nefaria captured all three of them, harnessed their energy, and shot them into his, his own body, him just being a rich benefactor, and became literally Marvel's version of evil Superman, who would then go on to tangle with and humble and defeat Iron Man, Captain America, Wonder Man, Scarlet Witch, Vision, uh, the Beast, if I already didn't already say his name, uh, just throttles the Avengers until Thor finally arrives and Thor is able to help equal it out. It's a giant epic. If, if they made this into a movie, people would love it. People would freak out. Those three three issues were just staggering in their impact. The kids of that era were chattering about those comics. He would then jump on and do a run of Avenger stories where they would battle the Absorbing Man or they would re, uh, reconstitute their lineup to, to much controversy as the government steps in and dictates, you know, wh- which which way the Avengers are going to are, are, are going to go in terms of who they want on the roster. Uh, he did a huge Scarlet Witch, Wondergore Mountain, Quicksilver, uh, three parter. J- John Byrne was a powerful co- contributor to the Avengers. At the same time, he was doing the X Men. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this sound like Neil Adams? Does it sound like Jack Kirby? It is incredible that at the same time now, try and buy one of those Avengers pages. He did a long run on the Fantastic Four, and I have many of those pages in my original art collection. They do not carry the same heat on them as those Avengers pages. They're few and far between. I've held some of those Count Nefaria pages in my hands, and I'm so dedicated to allotting all of my own personal 
uh, investment into the, the, the burn X-Men stuff that has to be something really important for me to step outside of my, my burn X-Men collecting. But recently, Count Nefaria, Wundagore Mountain, Absorbing Man pages of the 10, 11 issues that he did of the Avengers worth of work. Uh, those have been presented to me. They are pricey like way more expensive than so much of the fantasy four pages because they're harder to get. But that fan base, that era reflects on those in the same way that I'm telling you that people look at the Neil Adams stuff when they go Neil Adams, Marvel, they go pre scroll war, Savage land, you know, X-Men. A lot of the love of John Burns, Marvel comes from not just the fantasy four, but the X-Men and the Avengers, which he was simultaneously giving you during that time. So the artistic connections between so many of like the biggest names of, of, of their era involve these two franchises, involve Avengers and X-Men. If you have not checked out, I mean, they've got entire collections of, of, uh, of John Byrne's Avengers stuff and, and, and as well as his X-Men stuff. When you look, when you go online and you look and see how much the Jack Kirby, obviously the first Avengers and X-Men, that the, they're at the top of the heap in terms of how many times they've been re- reprinted, then how many times the Neil Adams stuff that I'm telling you has been reprinted to keep it fresh, to keep it at market so that you can discover it. And then you look at the John Byrne stuff and you see how many times that stuff has gone back to press. I mean, there's a reason. So the artistic connection involves some of the biggest names to ever do comic books. Number four in the Avengers X-Men connection are the mutants known as Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were first introduced to you on the cover of X-Men number four as part of Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, who would go on to be kind of the uh, the anti-team for the X-Men. The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants was probably one of the most appealing creations uh, that the X-Men franchise boasted because it was a good matchup. You look there and you go, oh, Magneto and Toad and Mastermind and then, and then Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Now, the lore in the in the X-Men comics for decades was that Magneto was the parent, was the father of uh, of, of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, of, of Wanda and Pietro Maximoff. And then the Wondergore Mountain saga that John Byrne illustrated, and I did a, when WandaVision was blown up a couple years back, I did many different podcasts on this and the storyline. You are encouraged to go back and listen to those. I go page by page in some instances, panel by panel. It was incredibly detailed. And for readers of the time, it was this big, wow, shift where we saw, you know, Scarlet Witch and Pietro's wife and, and Magneto pined for her, had memories of her on the computer. And, and he talked about the pain of their separation. And it talks about how she tried to hide these kids from Magneto. She didn't want him to know they existed and then he eventually found them and and they and they served with him on the brotherhood of evil mutants and so this powerful origin story uh comes to light in the wondergore mountain in the 80s uh or actually late 70s uh again under the pencil of of uh john Byrne and with the input of jim shooter and david michelini who were both uh involved with the book at the time and and it just really it it, it created a a strong you know kind of a, a full circle of events that connected Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, Magneto to the Avengers because it is in Avengers 16 that they shake up the lineup, that the Thor, Iron Man, Giant Man, Wasp uh, uh, component of the Avengers lineup is gone. And Cap introduces the world to a new team that he's going to lead. And it's Hawkeye, it's Scarlet Witch, and it's Quicksilver. So the characters that we were introduced to as villains in the X-Men as as working alongside Magneto are now being rehabbed as heroes. I, it, it's cool. So many times, uh, whether it's Prince Namor as Submariner or even the Black Panther who is who is introduced as kind of a threat to the Fantastic Four, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver introduces threats alongside Magneto in in X Men uh, in the X Men comics, debuting with X Men number four, are now fighting for good alongside Captain America and the Avengers, and that lineup lasts for years. They battle. The lava men, they 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 battled Doctor Doom, one of my favorites, because when I got into comics, the reprint book for the Avengers, it was called Marvel Triple Action, was reprinting the 60s adventures of the Adventures by Jack Kirby, by Don Heck, George Tuska, John Buscema. So again, that beautiful side by side, all of those books. Spider-Man was in reprints, had a reprint book alongside his modern book. 
Fantastic Four, X-Men, Avengers, they all had the same. So you could get the best of the of yesteryear and then the best of what was coming out in your hands right at that time. But so the the powerful connection uh between Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And you know, remember in the in like the summer of 2012, 2013, it was like, whoa, you know, Marvel's gonna do a Quicksilver in Age of Ultron and X-Men's gonna do Quicksilver because they live in both worlds. The characters are identified with both both titles so powerfully and they both gave you their version now I, I gotta be honest the days of future past version of quicksilver owns owns all other versions in my in my you know opinion but the fact that when you when i say scarlet witch and you think of elizabeth olsen well when i you know think of elizabeth olsen and scarlet witch i think of her as an x-men character first and foremost who then grew into a beloved avengers you know, character. So that's the cool thing about these franchises. Again, the mixing and matching never seems to end. And there is no greater connection, organic connection, because what I'm going to get into next is not necessarily as organic. There is no greater organic connection than the one provided with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver and them trans transitioning from Brotherhood of Evil Mutant members to card-carrying, you know, battling members of the Avengers alongside Captain America. So, which leads us to number five. Number five is really interesting. Because the Avengers and Spider-Man in the late 90s had been, uh, and early 2000s, had been co-opted, licensed, uh, their rights taken by big film companies like 20th Century Fox and Sony, and uh, Marvel was coming out of uh, out of their bankruptcy period <clears throat> where they were kind of starting to reassemble. And I've covered it, uh, you know, I think in a podcast called The Rise of the D-List or The Rise of the C-List, which talks to you about how Wall Street felt about Marvel at the time and and went on on record in in financial papers like Wall Street Journal and Barron's and said, all that Marvel has left is their D-List characters, Captain America, Thor, the Iron Man, and of course, the Avengers. Now, remember, I am hired to restore the Avengers in, in the 1990s as it, it is one of Marvel's lowest selling comic books. And I am able to put it back at the top. And in fact, and I'm so like one of the unsung, but proudest things that I have accomplished my, in my career is I have the, according to all of the data, the number one best-selling Avengers book of all time. Now, this is the, even shocking, even more shocking when I share this to you. Marvel is trying to, at this time in the early 2000s, kind of pretty up the portfolio, make it more attractive to investors so that they can get money that they, so they can get, you know, get the financing to make the movies that they want to make and want to put in front of you independent of the Sony licensed material and the 20th Century Fox licensed material. So one of the things, they, they sit there and you don't think they heard it in, in the, in the two-volume set, the story of Marvel Studios that was released a couple of years back. It is a handsome, super huge hardcover. Again, not on the cheap side of things, but it really chronicles the birth of the Marvel Studios and how Favreau and uh, John Favreau and Kevin Feige were huddling from early on. That hurt them. That, that they were stung by those financial papers because they are, ha- you know, they have a lot of in- input. They have a lot of impact on the markets, and they basically, very distinctly, they 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 marked the Marvel stock as sell, not buy, sell, like like shed it because the the best has already been visited upon us. By that time, with a couple of X Men sequels, with a couple of Spider Man, Sony movies, the, the Sam Raimi stuff, and 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 they felt like all Marvel has left is is stuff that isn't as interesting. Now that spoke to their miseducation and and the lack of knowledge they had of the vast Marvel library. Marvel knew they had it though, so what they did in publishing because the publishing rights were never sold to Sony and the publishing rights were never sold to 20th Century Fox. So what they could do is to use up the portfolio to make you think and see that the Avengers were not just some throwaway title and that Cap and Thor, and they all they all had greater roles to play, especially going forward. They relaunched the Avengers again. They called them the new Avengers. And the big twist was, especially in the publishing uh, realm, because the Avengers had once again kind of fallen off in sales. This is around like the early 2000s. They threw Wolverine and Spider-Man into the group, neither of whom had ever been members of the Avengers prior and trust me i've been reading that that those avengers comics you know since 1974 and i had read the reprints spider-man was always teased he was always teased as being a part of the group wolverine never 
But here in the lineup, it's going to be Cap and Iron Man, and it's going to be Wolverine, and it's going to be Spider-Man, and they're the marquees. None of the other characters matter. All the imagery that was put out early on is with those characters standing next to Cap and Iron Man and, and making sure that the, that the quote-unquote C&D-list characters are now standing against Marvel's, standing alongside Marvel's hottest characters in the biggest character to ever come out of the X-Men Wolverine and Spider-Man being the flagship. So, hey, Sony, hey, Fox, thank you. We have the publishing rights to this. So if you think of Hugh Jackman, when you think of Wolverine at the time, well, now he's on the Avengers. And if you think of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, well, now Spider-Man is standing with the Avengers. The new Avengers boasted the most popular X-Men and the most popular Spider-Man in order to get that notice, get those sales, so that they could then go and say, hey, New Avengers is Marvel's number one selling title. What are you talking about here when you are telling people that this is D-list stuff? The new Avengers. Now, do you think that analyst who already doesn't know what he's talking about when he's talking and, 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 and telling you that Cap and Iron Man and Thor are D-list characters, C-list characters, that guy already doesn't know what he's talking about because he doesn't know how rich that library is. Well, he's just going to go, wow, I, Avengers is, is outselling X-Men and Spider-Man for Marvel Comics, even if it's just for six months. Wow, I was wrong. He doesn't, he's not going to look into why it got there. Oh, I see. It's because they took Wolverine and Spider-Man and put them on the Avengers that that forced fans' hands to make it the number one comic again. It was that specific lineup. Trust me, it was the giant shot that was heard around the comic book world. Wolverine and Spider-Man are now for the first time ever going to be card-carrying Avengers members, the new Avengers. And they were heavily featured in the opening lineups, opening storylines. And that helped Marvel pretty up their portfolio and suddenly again because you look at stats and figures you know what the first thing anybody does when i send them one of my comics or when they ask to see one of my extreme studios comics the stuff that i own they go can i see the charts can i see how it's sold don't kid yourself for one reason that this doesn't matter the charts the sales and thank god the the, the, the charts and the sales for my extreme stuff are robust you go well here here's where we were selling outselling x-men avengers fantasy four spider-man all of that stuff and not just for one month for years but marvel took this took the wolverine spider-man component prettied up new new avengers now now this is like 2004 2005 okay 2006 right right in this realm in this era as they are building their financing to get the money that they will use to make iron man the money that they will use to make the universal version of of the Hulk, okay, uh, and then everything else, and then Disney buys them because they're like, we got to get into the boys' action market. This stuff is working. We're all we're all the way in. So the new Avengers was the slickest, uh, you know, boldest marketing move from the publication division in regards to, you know, really again, I just keep using the words prettying up the picture. And gussying, they'd say gussying the numbers, juicing the numbers uh, in order to show people, hey, you should be investing in this. People are sleeping on this. This is this is what the fans want the most. This is what the stores are ordering the most copies of. This is our best-selling book, which it wasn't, but then it was because of Wolverine and Spider-Man. So the X-Men and the Avengers, especially on the back of Wolverine, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I like Spider-Man, but Wolverine, as I've told you many times, and I am not alone, I mean, one extremely... And I know a guy, he's an extremely, uh, he's one of the big time, big, big, have high rolling collectors. He said, oh man, I broke my, I broke my streak of, of not buying interior pages recently because I'm really just doing covers and splashes because I saw this interior Wolverine page that I had to have that I always loved. The people who love Wolverine love Wolverine. If Hugh Jackman doesn't work as Wolverine, the X-Men franchise never takes flight at all certainly not in the way it did not making hundreds of millions of dollars not you know launching 20 20 years two decades full of x-men films so putting wolverine in the avengers there you there you have our final x-men avengers connection for the day this deserved to be uh, uh studied examined and i could not wait to share it with you the avengers x-men connection they share a birth date they have the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby chemistry component. They have a rich artistic legacy. They have that character connection. And then finally, the X-Men tweak to get that Avengers picture to look a whole lot more appealing. And uh, 
Man, we could go on, but those were the, the, the top five Avengers X-Men connections that stood out to me that I wanted to share with you. And maybe, hopefully, again, you learned something today that maybe you didn't. And that just brings me such incredible joy because I'm telling you people, the comic book fans, the average comic book fan who is just cruising over to Wikipedia whenever Marvel announces a new character and will never, ever see how great the High Evolutionary is in comic books. The High Evolutionary, sidebar here, in comic books is a badass who went toe-to-toe with no less than Galactus. The Avengers, the Fantastic Four, they shuddered at his presence. He was He immediately commanded attention, respect, fear. Uh, he was intimidating. Nothing like what I experienced when I saw Guardians 3. I think the High Evolutionary was as disappointing for me as the depiction of Adam Warlock was for so many of you. Because again, I I read a a buddy of mine who were were in a Bronze Age group on Facebook. He flat out said like, you people who did not read the comic books growing up are so much luckier because your expectations are different. He And he's like, I actually envy you. And I was like, yes, I get this. Because, you know, we just encountered different, awesome, you know, versions incarnations of these characters and 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 when i bring some of the stuff to you guys it's just to share with you the rich history of the creators and the comic books the publications the publishers uh it is such a great pleasure to share this with you and i'm so glad that you guys have have taken the time to listen and and continue to go through this journey with me and uh i i just hope you enjoyed today's avengers x-men connection so, hey, as we wrap up today's episode, uh, I needed to mention to you that one of the things that you have requested of me as a comic book writer, artist, creator, the most is you guys wanted a private in-house CGC signing with CGC, the leading grading uh, uh, company in regards to collectibles, cards, comic books. Nobody does it better. Nobody has a better reputation than CGC. They have taken the world by storm. I am having a private in-house signing with them end of the summer late late this summer i fly to florida in august you have till july to send in your key appearances or maybe some of your favorite books people have been showing me what they're sending in and i am so excited some are sending in magazines that i did interviews with and i drew the cover they're sending in copies of marvel age they're sending in my snake eyes work that i did a couple of years ago uh for idw they're sending in my captain america stuff my my avenger stuff the work that i mentioned to you today on top of the deadpool key appearances domino cable and look, you're you're gonna you're gonna get jarred like you're gonna sit up straight when that first set picture from Deadpool three hits you in a couple of weeks and be like, crap, I I didn't think I wanted this as bad as I did, but I do. And now you're gonna get that packed up and shipped up off to CGC. So get on this earlier. Be at the front of the line. Um, I'm gonna be there for reportedly days on end doing this signing, doing all these uh, different uh, special menu items that we have. Uh, just so excited to be doing this for you guys. So you guys go to the CGC website. Get to the menu, look up Rob Liefeld News. There is where they will guide you to not only comics, but cards. I am doing cards. They are going to be grading cards, which is a huge aspect of this. Deadpool, Cable, X-Force, Youngblood, Evangeline, Prophet. I did them all. Um, or maybe you have a favorite Marvel Masterworks card of Deadpool or Cable. I am happy, so happy to sign those for you. Get those to CGC. Look up on the menu. I have never, ever done a cgc private in-house some of these creators that you love have done them three to four times this is my first time dipping my toe into this pool i look forward to seeing what you guys send to me on social media i would love for you to follow me on twitter at robert Liefeld. that is where i'm at the blue checks are gone that system has been upended but i am at robert Liefeld. if you uh interact with me talk with me i i enjoy it so much i love hearing your comments your your messages I just love all the the vibes going on at Twitter. Follow me at, at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D straight. That's it. Just nothing in between. That's it. Follow me at Twitter. I will look for you over there on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. The blue check there signifies the uh, verification that I am indeed who I say I am. I have I, I share uh, so much artwork on Instagram right now, family photos, what I'm eating. It's just a fun time. I'd love for you to join me over on Instagram where I um, I have stuff on my stories. I have stuff on my main page. I am, again, just Rob Liefeld right there. Rob Liefeld, no Robert. At Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. I look forward to reading your messages, your DMs. It is so great to communicate with so many of you. I'm communicating with people all over the world, and we're going to, again, talk about international uh, influence when I get to the uh, reviews. 
that, that I've pushed further to the end of the show. <clears throat> we have a group on Facebook. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. And so many of the conversations that we have here continue there. We post a page uh, of each and every subject that we put up. We continue the discussion. It's so much fun. We have art contests. People show their comics, their characters. Please join us. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala will click you through. And that's how you know you're at the right place. We're the administrators. We look forward to seeing you at Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. It's a group. It's on Facebook. There is an app. It's called Whatnot. I'm on it. I am sharing with you my signed comics, signed toys, signed Funkos, original art, all of it. We have exclusives. There's new exclusives coming this weekend. The 30th anniversary of a character that maybe some of you've never heard of, but I love Blood Wolf is dropping this weekend on Whatnot, a 30th anniversary anniversary edition that no one has known about. I did it on the download. <clears throat> it's a remastering. You're going to dig it. We have exclusive Deadpool New Mutants uh, comics that I did with Whatnot. They have Whatnot on the back. They're not available in stores. I did a Brigade exclusive, not available in stores, only on Whatnot. I did a Spider-Man exclusive, only available on Whatnot, not in stores. There are a ton of brand new Deadpool uh, Batter Blood number one exclusives coming to that site. Get on Whatnot, download it, there's tons of collectible stores that are online that you can access immediately that are selling comics, toys, manga, um, anime, sports cards, all of that stuff's available. Get on whatnot, download it, follow me at Rob Liefeld. I go live. It is me. I am right on the screen uh, sharing all my stuff to you directly and excited to give you so many of these uh, custom signature items. Find out what a drop shadow chisel is, a blood splatter chisel. Oh my gosh, you'll see all the crazy stuff that we are sharing with you. Available only on the WhatNot stream, but you got to follow me on WhatNot. Rob Liefeld, I look forward to seeing you there. We generally do shows right now on Wednesdays and Fridays, and it's so much fun. I hope to see you guys on one of our upcoming live streams. At the end of every show, we read reviews, the generous reviews that you all leave for us uh, after re uh, listening to each and every show. You're not reading the show after listening to each and every show. And it, 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 again, it warms my heart because it is such a show of support and that support matters. It helps us on the platform. It helps us stand out. It helps when people see the reviews and the five stars that you give us. And I could not be more grateful to you today. Greece from Greece, we get a... Uh, a, a, a review uh, left just a few days ago from Dim T Sat. Dim T C D I M T S A T. He left this uh, via Apple Podcast in Greece. He gives us five stars. It says, What a journey, what a podcast. That's the title of his review. It says, Listening to Rob's podcast, my appreciation for his artwork has risen even more. Rob loves comics, he loves them. You can tell he channels that love to make his art so energetic. This same energy, this same energy will get, will get to you. Sorry. This same energy will get to you if you start listening to Rob's observations and will learn, uh, <clears throat> and I'm sorry, and will lead to some serious side effects. I am so sorry that I am butchering your review. Here, I'll start. You can tell he channels that love to make his art so energetic. This same energy will get to you if you start listening to Rob's observations. It will lead to some serious side effects. Number one, you will start hunting down comics published 10 years before you were born and get exposed to some amazing artists. The King did Planet of the Apes. Number two, you will find yourself listening to his podcast late in the night to amazement of your better half because his narration is so damn exciting. So if you are okay with these side effects and love comic books, Rob's observations is definitely the podcast for you. That I can tell the enthusiasm that you put in, re in in writing that, and I am so grateful, Dim T Sat from Greece. That is, I I feel the love. I thank you so much, you guys. Again, we read these at the end of each and every show. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you for that review, Dim T Sat. Uh, that made me smile. Really, thank you so much, you guys. We give this show to you. It is not monetized in any way whatsoever. I am so thankful that you partake in it. If you're listening to it in the car on your uh, on your on your stationary bike, uh, at the comic store, at work, whatever, wherever you in, in, interact with the show, I, I am so grateful. Thank you so much. And you know, at the end of every show, I wish you all the very best. I want your mental, your emotional, your uh, physical, and and. <clears throat> And your spiritual selves to be fed, to be rich, uh, um, um, and, and just know that I'm rooting for you. I've been through it too. I've had my hardships. Uh, I've 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 raised three. <laughs> I've raised three adult kids. I've been married this summer for 28 years. 
Um, we have gone on this journey. I've been in comic books for 37 years. Uh, I, I have, I have experienced ups, downs, high highs, lows, all of it in between. And I'm telling you, sometimes you just got to disconnect from the matrix to get rebooted, to get restored, to get that extra oomph. Art feeds us so much. I recommend reading a great comic book, watching one of your favorite movies, pull out that classic you love so much, feel the way you used to feel when you saw it for the first time. I've done this recently. It is so fun. Pair it with a great meal, a cheap meal, dessert. Maybe it's a milkshake. Maybe it's frozen yogurt. Maybe it's, you know, uh, 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 you know, cherry Garcia or ice cream. Maybe it's a Reese's peanut butter cup. You know, I had to get, <laughs> I had to get that in there. How do I not have <laughs> an endorsement? with Reese's big cups. Anyway, uh, you guys just have some fun, read a great comic, watch a great show, spend time with your loved ones and friends. I am wishing you well fist bump through the mic. Please come back. Please come back and see me. I'm going to be here. We most certainly, absolutely, and inevitably we'll talk again real soon.